Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to The Art of Being You. So today... I want to get really personal and kind of bring you into my life a little bit and some of the things that have been on my mind just in such a deep way. And, you know, I think there's this question that a lot of us are wrestling with and maybe don't even have the words for where we're trying to figure out, like, what is it that God wants from us? You know, what does God want from you in your life? And one of the things that has been coming up in my life a lot lately is this idea of the beautiful mundane. It's this idea of the spectacularly boring life with God. (laughs) It's like the reality that a lot of times what God is looking for us to do is to find contentment and peace within him alone and recognize that our need for ambition and more and conquering and goal slaying and expansion, though might be good sometimes, also wages war with the inner place where the temple of God exists in our soul. It's like this beautiful tension between wanting to go and advance the kingdom and make disciples and do the things that Jesus has asked us to do and also be connected to our everyday life and find him in the mundane, in the routine, in the moments when the alarm clock is going off, in the moments where we're just sitting for a quiet moment in the kids' pickup line, in the moments where it feels like the goals just aren't going to be achieved. I think there's this bigger question going on in our hearts, which is to figure out what is it that God wants from us? I mean, does he want us all to be sort of apostolic missionaries going to the nations, seeing thousands of people saved and healed and set free? Well, I mean, at some level, he wants some of us to be that. Or does he want us to be you know, happy in his presence all the time and never have any goals and therefore just sort of live like a normal mundane life. Well, maybe that's God too. And maybe everything in between is also God. Maybe what God is looking for is for this deeper place of connection and a willingness to go with him, the places that he may lead, whether that's to Zimbabwe or to Target to be connected to his presence, to be authentically ourselves before him. Recently, God was speaking to me just about this idea that, you know, when he created us, right, before we were even in our mother's womb, he created us. He puts us onto the earth inside of the form of an embryo, inside of the form of an egg and a sperm, inside of this moment of conception. He puts our spirit into flesh in that moment. And when that happens, he is covenantally committed to being with you for the long haul of your life. It's kind of mind boggling to think that God doesn't just create us and then sit back and hope we find him and then rush us along till eternity. I think the heart of God is this slow paced presence right? Like, like a dad or a mom in a home that's just with you. I mean, they are 
your home just as much as they are with you in your home. It's like God is this presence near us every single day of our lives, not rushing you necessarily from one deadline to the next, from one goal to the next, but really just focused on being with you. And in the same way that a family has different things they're working towards and different seasons where what they're working towards is more costly than others, I think that's what it's like to follow God. There's seasons of our lives where we are, you know, he's asking more of us, where we are committing more of our time, our energy, our resources, our our thought process, our focus. And then there's times where we're not. And both of those are equally spiritual. The beautiful mundane. I'm just trying to wrap my head around where in this journey we as believers began to think that we're supposed to be these perfect people, that what God is looking for is someone who can cross every T and dot every I and fulfill every letter of the law that's in the word. In fact, there was somebody that did that. And they come up to Jesus, you know, the story, the rich young ruler, and they come up to Jesus and he goes, look, I've done every single thing that you've asked. And God gives him yet another task. Because God's a a hard taskmaster? No. Because God is looking at his heart and saying, look, you can do all the things, but you haven't figured out who I am and how to be with me in the core of who you are. Go and give all your possessions to the poor. What is he saying? Because it's bad to have possessions? No, he's saying, look, in the greatest place of your heart, you're still looking to check boxes. You're still looking to fulfill some law more than you're looking to be with me, to be like me. When did we begin to believe that we're supposed to be so perfect? I think this is a really interesting perspective when we start to think about the law in the Old Testament. And when I say the law, what I mean is the Old Testament rules that we have to follow to um, be right with God. So there's a bunch of them. Started with Moses at the Ten Commandments. And maybe we should pause there and say, look, it started with Moses with the Ten Commandments. Listen, Abraham pre-existed Moses. Noah pre-existed Moses. God had covenantal relationships with humans before he created the law. I guess you could probably say, well, in Genesis, he created a law, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yeah, okay, at some level that's true. That applied to Adam and Eve for sure. But was it a universal law that all people were supposed to go by? I mean, I don't know, right? That's not as clear in the Bible. And then we see throughout Genesis that he interacts with people without the law until we get to Moses. Abraham is sort of a screw up in every single way, right? He denies his wife twice. I mean, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> he's an interesting guy for sure. But God is committed covenantally to him, and he's not really even giving Abraham a standard to live by. He's giving him instruction, sure, but not like this law that we measure himself against. And then we get to Moses, and Moses has this mountaintop encounter where God gives him the Ten Commandments. And this is so important for us to understand. Why the Ten Commandments? And why then? Why Moses? Why not Enoch, who had a spectacular relationship with God? Why not Noah? Why not uh, Abraham? Why Moses? And It really begs the question, what is the law for? 
If God pre-existed the law and mankind's relationship with God pre-existed the law, meaning it was existing before the law came into pass, then why did the law come to be? And here's what I want to suggest to you, that the law was given to people to expose our desire for sin. See, when you have a standard of righteousness that you're measuring yourself against, it begins to expose our rebelliousness, right? It's like when mom says to you, not, you know, don't have that extra cookie. And then all of a sudden, everything inside of you wants that extra cookie. I had an experience like that with my daughter just this morning, my four-year-old. And I told her, look, you can take two of these toys to school today. And she went behind my back and snuck about 10 of them. So we talked about it again. And she kept trying to tell me, listen, I cannot just take two. I've got to have three, four, five. (laughs) It's four-year-old logic for you. There's something about when we're given a standard that begins to expose our rebellious nature. It begins to expose our desire for sin. It begins to expose our unwillingness to yield to someone's instruction. That is human nature. And what if the law existed, was given specifically to expose that in humankind, in mankind, so that we would recognize our need for a savior? I mean, we know, right, if you've read the New Testament, you know that the law was only meant to be temporary. We know that the law was always flawed from the beginning. We know that Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. Jesus was always coming to enact a new covenant, a new way of being, because God knew the law was flawed probably from before when he gave it to Moses. Why? Because God preexisted it and had relationship with mankind before it, which begs the question again, why is the law, why was it given when it was, and what do you and I now on this side of the cross do about that? Is God holding us to dot every I and cross every T of the letter of the law? And maybe the bigger question is, why? I I think so many of us desire to look at the word of God and say, I have fulfilled each and every expectation and instruction that's been given to people. Therefore, I know I'm in right standing with God. And God is saying that mentality is a flawed perspective. That mentality that says that I can measure my own closeness to God based on what I do is the antithesis of what the gospel is, which is that nothing that you do will measure who you are to God. You are special to God. And through the the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, through accepting his salvation, his his, his freedom, his deliverance from sin, accepting that moment moves us from measuring our standard of, of living from the law to measuring our standard of living from proximity to his presence. The law was ever only temporary. Habitation with Jesus is forever. Being united with Christ is eternal. Being in this place where not only are we in him, but he is in us, that is what God is looking for. So again, I would just say, why? Why do we believe we're supposed to be perfect? And why is it that we try to move from season to season, from glory to glory, and try to perfect ourselves in that process, try to be more like Jesus in that process, just so that we can feel like we've accomplished something? 
Now, you may be sitting here listening to this and thinking, are you trying to say, Rachel, that you don't have to abide by what the word of God says or that it's not okay to to, you know, want to live in right standing with with the Bible? Of course not. Of course not. What I am saying is check your motivation. Check the reason why, because what I'm encountering is person after person, so many people who think that by living out the letter of the word, by living out righteousness as according to the Bible, that they are somehow then close to God and um, and can feel a sense of relief, like as if God is pleased with them, all the while never really knowing him. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. I believe that we should live out everything that the Bible asks us to do. I believe that the Bible exposes sin that is dangerous to us and we should abstain from the sins that are in the Bible. I believe that. But I believe that that comes from the place of being united with Christ, loving him so much that we want to be like him, loving him so much that we want to be near him, and recognizing that when sin comes into the picture, it forces us to draw away from his presence just because of shame and guilt and and just the nature of what sin is. So I hope to not sin. (laughs) I don't want to use the grace of God to, you know, give myself permission to do things that God says are bad. I mean, that would be wrong. That's what Romans says. But I want the reason for why I think that to be because I am so enamored with the person of Christ, not because I'm so concerned about how he thinks about me. I know how he thinks about me. I know how he thinks about you. You are the prize of his life. You are so special to him when he created you. He created you knowing he was going to be with you on all of your best days and through all of your worst, knowing he would be standing next to you when you would deny him, knowing that he would be intermingled with you while you would question him, while you would doubt him. He committed himself to you for eternity. That doesn't mean that everybody chooses to go that road with him, of course. But for those of us that do choose to go that road, for those of us that have said, yes, Jesus, you are the son of God, you are my savior, you are my Lord, even in those people's relationships, we still have these moments where we begin to feel this sense of relief because we think we are justified by what the word of God says as opposed to because of what God's word has said. Does that make sense? There's a nuance in there. Where am I going with this? I think God is inviting us to be his children. I think God is inviting us to be his sons and daughters. That that when he's what he's looking for, what does God want from us? What he's looking for is kids, relationships, authenticness. What is God looking for? He's looking for you in the essence of who you are. And he's not looking at you because you are a project to him. He's not looking at you and saying, oh my gosh, this one, this one would be so special if only they could stop doing this. That's not his heart. What God does is he comes alongside of us and he goes, you know what? You are so special and you are worth it to me even if you never change. What? The spirit of religion, the the religious mentality would say to you that God would never say that to you because this just, righteous, holy God cannot be sullied with the likes of someone like you. And yet Jesus proves that that's not true. He goes, 
right into Matthew's house as a tax collector. He goes straight up to the woman who's literally been pulled out of the adultery bed. I mean, literally in the act of sex and she's pulled out of that moment about to be killed and Jesus walks right up to her with purity. He doesn't say, oh, look at you, my next project. Come follow me and give me all your time and money and let me use you to do something spectacular with this world. No, he just goes, look, I can give you something that you don't have. Peace, salvation, freedom. And take it from me and go and be a redeemed person. Is he saying go and get away from me? No, he's saying go and I'm actually going with you because I'm God. And God desires to be with us through all the ups and downs of our life. It's kind of like in a marriage, you know, I, I'm married. I've been married for 16 and a half years. I love being married to my husband. Yes, we have lots of moments where I, I think it's harder to say that statement than others, but uh, I love being married to him. But you know what's funny is when he, he has different business conferences that he goes to for real estate and stuff. And when he goes on those conferences, if he's in another state and maybe he goes a whole day where he's so busy that I can't actually talk to him, I'm not wondering if we're still married. Right. I mean, just because I'm not next to him doesn't mean doesn't change the status of our covenant. This is what it's like with God. When you don't spend time with the Lord one morning because you forgot doesn't mean that anything has changed. I just said that. Yeah. If you miss a time with the Lord, it doesn't mean that anything has changed in your relationship with him. God still loves you exactly the same. Now, you might find it harder to resist temptation. You might forget who you are. You know, it might be more on your end than it is on God's end, but that's the point. It's on your end. God is the same to you every moment of every day. He is the same to you on the mountaintop as he is to you on the valley. He is the same to you when you feel like he's with you, and he is the same towards you when you can't even figure out where God is. Why? Because he's committed himself to you. And he's not looking for you to be perfect. Heck, he's not even looking for you to stay on the mountaintop and never dip into a valley. What he's looking for is connection, relationship, and a shared presence. That you're in his presence and he can sense you there. And he's in your presence and you can sense him there. Wow, right? So what is God looking for us? Maybe God doesn't really care about the output of our life. Of course, the caveat to that would be the things that he's asking us to do. And, and we all kind of know those moments where we have this deep sense of calling. And uh, and some of us, especially those that are in ministry, probably feel this more than others. I mean, when you, when God calls you into ministry, it's sort of like a set apart thing. And and it's, it's a little bit like he puts a like he puts a tracker on you and there's a lot less you can get away with, you know? Um, but, but everybody else that's not called into ministry, you're called to different things. And, and those things, you have that sense of purpose, right? Where it's like, I've got to do this because this is important in my life. But those are the, the minority experiences. I mean, am I right? Think about it. Those are the minority experiences. The majority of the time, it is the beautiful mundane. It is living our life, cooking a beautiful dinner, Walking under a beautiful sunset, connecting on a porch as you feel the hot summer breeze. As you can tell, I'm excited about that season coming. It is, it is the beautiful moments of life that are just as meaningful, just as sacred, just as holy as 
all the rest that we would deem to be the pinnacle experiences because God is who he is, whether we're on the mountain, whether we're on the valley, whether we're sliding down the hill, tumbling down towards our demise, or whether we are working so hard to climb to get closer to him. God is with you. He's with you. And he is not measuring you against every single tit for tat thing that's in the Bible. Like, oh my gosh, I gossiped today. Oh my gosh, I accidentally said a cuss word. Oh my gosh, I, I, you know, said a prayer request, but I told too much information. Oh my goodness, I forgot to fast. Oh my goodness. I, you know, we go down this list and then we begin to go into this sense of shame. We begin to go into the sense of guilt. We begin to sense God's displeasure when God is not displeased with you, even when you get it wrong. Now, let's just talk about the other side of this just for a moment. You know, the promise of the Lord is that when we are faithful in the little, that he makes us ruler over much. Stewardship is a principle in the kingdom. And so if we do want to advance, we do need to steward the things that God has told us. But the reason why we do that and the motivation behind that is totally different than trying to earn God's affection. Does that make sense? There are two different pathways that probably lead to something from the outside that looks very similar. But what God looks at is not the outside. He is looking at your heart. He's looking at the motivation going on inside of you. He is looking at the the feeling of whether or not you feel close to God. And that's what he wants to put his finger on. Look, we are... We are called to be his sons and daughters. We're not called to be perfect people. We are called to be those who connect with him, who keep coming home to him, even though we might have had a fight earlier in the day. We are called to be those who don't forget our covenantal connection, even when we're out of town. He's looking for a relationship. He's looking for the beautiful mundane. I don't know about you, but I... I, I need to hear that sometimes, right? Even in all the things that I push forwards toward, the goals that I have, the ministry things I want to see happen, the zeal that's in my heart for the glory of God to be known across the earth, the desire in my heart for people to come to know Jesus, the the pounding sensation that I get when I think about how the Holy Spirit is desperate for relationship, for exposing the religious spirit and drawing people into his authentic presence. I mean, all of that is still there, right? All that desire, all the, the need to work hard for that, to partner with God and and advance his kingdom. But also there is this desire to be present and content in the beautiful mundane of life, in the moments that feel insignificant by comparison, because those turn out to be the beautiful moments, right? When you think about your family, you might go on, maybe, you know, maybe you might get to go on a vacation once a year, maybe a couple, uh, once every couple years. And that becomes this pinnacle experience, right? So if you gauge the health of your family by those experiences, well, that that would be a really sad thing. Well, yeah, we got one great time as a family every three years. No, what what becomes the pinnacle experience of your family? It's being around the dinner table. It's those moments when life seems to slow down just for a moment and everybody in the home acts like they like each other. It's the moments when your kids actually put their own dishes away after dinner and didn't have to be asked. It's it's the moments of delight when you're just together laughing at a TV show together. Th- that beautiful mundane, that is life with Jesus. Being present no matter what your present culture is. Being with him no matter the circumstance and enjoying him Nonetheless, 
So I hope these thoughts are helpful for you. This is what's been going on in my heart and uh, some of the things that God's been stirring in me and speaking to me. And I just really felt like I needed to share that with you guys. Um, And just know I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you becoming the best version of yourself, which looks like the most surrendered, authentic version of yourself to the Lord Jesus, because there is nothing better than living from that place, no matter what circumstances you're in. Until next time be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.